What is up, my fantasy affairs? This is Burke here. Let me just talk to you for a second. You want to know how you can turn your dynasty leagues around overnight? Hit me up in Canton, Ohio, August 14th and 15th. 15th is the Fantasy Football Expo. You can get tickets at thefantasyfootballexpo.com. Real original, right? 25 bucks gets you in the door. Get you a swag bag valued over 135 Get you a t-shirt. Get you all these different coupons and fancy site giveaways. Bump it up for another 20 bucks, and you can hit us up on August 14th to get into the pre-show party. All your favorites are going to be there. We're talking industry giants like Ray Garvin and Mike Clay. We're talking about all your favorite networks. DFS, Dynasty Nerds, Football Guys, The Ball Blast Girls, Full-Time Fantasy Camp, Campus to Canton, anyone and everyone who's, who's relevant on Twitter, as well as yours only, Fantasy Affairing is one of the key sponsors. Hit us up in Canton, August 14th and 15th. Be there. Don't miss it. What's up, everybody? This is Burke here. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Burkholder6. Followed, as always, by my main guy, Bradley Stickler, at FF Bourbon. Dude, how you living, Brad? I'm living the dream like always, man. Tomorrow is my Friday off. I'm giving the wife a much-needed time away from the house to hang out with some friends of hers. So it's going to be just me and the heathens tomorrow riding four-wheelers, playing in the mud, swinging on swing sets. Who knows what we're going to be doing tomorrow, but it's going to be a blast because dad is just fun and dad's awesome. Yeah. Nothing better to do than spend time with family, man. Yep. Nothing better at all. All right, oh, man. Sure. Well, let's just uh, recap real quick. Over the last few weeks, we, we've attacked some ADPs. We talked some Scott Fishball. We had a couple guests on. Marcus Moser was the highlight of that. Uh, we, of course, have those live streamed by Matt Riser at MattyDaddy2652, constantly dropping on Twitter. Be sure to give him a follow. And we just took an in-depth look. Uh, Bradley and myself, he said, Eric, man, what do you want to do? I said, dude, I want to step up our game. We want to help people win titles. We can talk ADP. We can tell you who to draft. We can give you the runaround about how, you know, what our opinion is, this player over that player and trade values and this, that, and the other thing. But what we really want to do is teach you our process so that you can create your own, so that you can dominate Dynasty Leagues from the start, or you can recover from where wherever you're at. So, to get into this, it's like this big round robin. We want to talk about player values. We want to talk about trade negotiations. We want to hit up, you know, what checking the boxes are, how to evaluate a specific target, how the league changes, contracts, salary cap implications, and what time of year we're in and how to take advantage of that. So we couldn't figure out how to jump in. So we're going to start at the beginning, in our opinion, and we're just going to start with player evaluations. Now, when you're on Twitter or listen to other pods, everybody says he checks all the boxes. Well, what the hell are the boxes? Okay, so everybody has their own, but they're pretty similar. Um, everybody likes big, strong, fast guys that catch a ton of touchdowns, right? That's the key. But when you're evaluating players, let's start at the beginning. How do we check the boxes? So, Brad, when a player A is brought up, what is your process for evaluating said players? Start at the beginning. Walk us through it. Yeah, I'm going to start with my gut. My gut reaction is the very first thing, right? If we're talking about like a trade and a guy comes in, my gut is the first thing that I think about it. Oh, God, uh, LaVisca Schnault. No, I'm good, man. I don't want nothing to do with that. Ooh, Debo. I kind of like Debo. Or, ooh, I, Hollywood. I kind of like Hollywood. Let me look a little bit further into this. So my gut is kind of that first thing that, that gets me thinking about whether or not I want to evaluate the trade or whether or not I want to say, you know what, I, I don't want anything to do with this. And that goes the same for my roster. At the end of the season, I look at it and I say, you know what? This guy kind of disappointed me. It's my gut reaction. He might be a guy that I write down on my list as somebody to try to move in the offseason at the right time. And I think that's fair, right? Because th we play this game for fun. We want to be able to root for our team. We all want the ships at the end. That's, that's the highlight. That's where we want to end. Okay, but when you start, I think it's fair to look at a specific player and go off your own evaluation You're of, of the guy just off a of gut feeling. Uh it's not everybody's process. Some people would say it's bad process. I don't give a damn about that. It's honest. It is honest. So once you have your gut feeling, whether a name sticks out or not, because even if it's a name you don't like, you still got to take a deeper look and see if perhaps somebody in the league is higher on them. You can flip them. Uh, or maybe you're just wrong because it's okay to be wrong. We're all human. So once you have your gut feeling, where do you go from there? Yeah, now I start to dig into the metrics is kind of the next thing for me because sometimes the, the stat sheet – doesn't tell the whole story. 
Sometimes the box score doesn't tell the whole story. Or when you look at how many fantasy points they scored or where they finished, that doesn't tell you everything that you want or need to know about a player. So I start to look at metrics and I'll talk about one kind of correlation that I really like for the wide receiver position and then one for the running back position, because that's always kind of the hardest one to really find those sleepers that you think about. So for the wide receiver position, I look at a dot or uh, average depth of target and the actual yardage that that wide receiver had, right? So if they're getting, if their A dot is super high, but their yardage is kind of low, now I'm going to start to look, okay, well, why is it kind of low? Is it because they weren't getting a lot of targets or is it because they were, the quarterback was inaccurate? Because you can start to identify some sleepers in that area, right? So when you think about guys like Marquise Brown or Mike Williams, those guys who have a really good depth of target, now you say, okay, well, they have a good depth of target. They're in a situation where maybe they're going to see some targets. So now what's the next metric that you want to use? And for me, it's separation. So I've got the A dot. I've got the, the uh, uh, yards after the catch. Now I'm going to look at the separation. Are they creating separation on their routes? That's what matters to me. And all those things combined, you, there's guys that like all kinds of different targets or all kinds of different metrics. Those are the three that I'm looking at from a wide receiver perspective. From a running back perspective, I'm looking at yards after contact per attempt, not total yards after contact, because that can be very invasive or it can it can kind of tell you an untrue story of actually what was happening and then i'm going to couple that with how many missed tackles they force or mtf you'll see some sites call it because that's going to tell me guys like joe mixon right when you think about guys you'll see twit threads on twitter all the time about joe mixon and how he's not a great running back he's not good but all the metrics say he's good. He's given you, a, a, you know, in PPR leagues, a top 10 season and a top 15 season. He was number 10 and number 13 in consecutive seasons in 2018 and 2019. He fell off the map a little bit last year because of some injuries. But now you see the opportunity come in and the metrics back it up. He has really good yards after contact per attempt. He's really great at forcing missed tackles. So you expect him to have a huge season. And in an ADP that you're seeing in the fourth-ish round in startups, that's an absolute steal for a 24-year-old running back that's got a new contract already. So those are two things metric-wise that I'm looking at for both the wide receiver and the running back. Yeah, metrics are crucial. We know that statistics lie. However, as much as we hate people that box score scout, it's a box score game in the end of the day. If a wide receiver can get open, uh, his situation may change, but his talent level would not. So that's it's an interesting way to go about it. It's not necessarily my cup of tea, uh, but I, I love using other people's opinions to influence my own process. I mean, that's how we grow. Look into it. Challenge your own your own style. See if you can improve upon it. If you can't, if you like to keep, you know, chugging away the same way, do that. If something stands out that you love, adjust. Reevaluate, adjust, and grow. So once you have your A-dots, and your yards after catch and, and your running back performance is all squared away, right? So you you know how you evaluate the player from a skill standpoint and from a gut standpoint at this point. Where do you go from there? Yeah, so it's just like you said. I have my gut feel. I look at the player. Now I know the player is good. But a lot of things go into whether or not a player is going to be productive for you in fantasy. And the next thing is the coaching staff. What are their tendencies? Is there consistency? There's a ton of things that go into this that you have to think about that could be good for that player or could be detrimental for that player. Right now, I use the example of Detroit. When I look at the Detroit Lions, right, you're, I don't want to say alma mater, but your go-to team, right? You're a huge fan of the Detroit Lions. Yeah, I didn't graduate from Detroit. Yeah, yeah right. I, I realized that didn't make sense after I said it, but either way, right? When I think about the Detroit Lions, I love what I see in the metrics for DeAndre Swift. Love them. Now I think about, okay, well, they got a new coaching staff. What's that coaching staff going to do? You go and you look at Anthony Lynn and his his, uh, process as an offensive coordinator, what his product on the field has produced, and you see consistent production from the running back position as both on the ground and the receiving game. Well, both of those are things that DeAndre Swift does. So I'm very high on DeAndre Swift because of things like that, where you can look at other situations like the 
Los Angeles Chargers, for instance, and say, okay, well, now we've got the New Orleans type of offense coming in with Joe Lombardi. How does that translate to a Mike Williams, for instance? Because you didn't see that offense in New Orleans throw the ball downfield to to anybody really very often. So how is that going to affect Mike Williams, which is a player that I love? So coaching staffs can be good for players or they can be bad for players. And looking at their tendencies is something very important when evaluating players. Now, I love that you brought up um, the Chargers because uh, we're both pretty high on that. And and the coaching change and the offense coordinator change, we we were down going into the offseason once the hires were made. Yeah, you take you take a closer look, and I'm down. I'm on board. I think the Chargers are going to be good this year. I think they're going to be good for a couple of years. Uh, losing Anthony Lynn, I thought was a bigger blow than most people like to think. Now, from an NFL aspect, probably not because if they have to lead in the fourth quarter, they might freaking win a game. Uh, that's, that <laughs> yeah, one's for right. underscore Cusky. You can find him on Twitter, Cusky with a C. Uh, the, just the biggest Chargers fan that I know, and that's saying something because they roll they roll strong. So, do you ever use those coaching changes? as something you can take advantage of. Now, if somebody sends you Austin Eckler, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen in a trade, now they are all connected to Justin Herbert. The expectations are sky high. You're taking a deeper look when you go to check the boxes. You see that there's a coaching change. Do you temper expectations or do you ride it out, right? Do you roll with it? Now, this this particular coaching change we like, but there are others. You're a Browns fan. When Freddie Kitchens was signed, I wanted out on everybody in Cleveland. So – do you ever use a coaching change to your advantage when trying to acquire a player with a coaching change that you like? And do you ever try and get out from underneath somebody before it's too late? You try to play two sides of the coin, right? It kind of depends on what you're doing. If you're trying to acquire a player, then you want to talk about how that's kind of a down. It's going to affect the player and there's some uncertainty. So what's that mean? You're trying to get some value back out of that. Whereas if you're trying to sell the player, Now you're going to try to say, well, look, this guy's produced multiple years with different head coaches or different offensive coordinators, right? Which are, are you know, coaching positions that change all the time and it didn't affect the player. So, so for me, it's whatever is to my advantage to be completely honest. And if I've got to sway that narrative in a way that helps me, then that's what I'm going to do. Sounds good, man. All right. Last checkbox. I think this is the most important one right here. What do you got? Yeah, so I'm going to go with now I've looked at everything. I I like the player. My gut feels good about it. I like the coaching staff. Everything points up. Now contract. That's the very last thing that I look at before pulling the trigger to say, okay, from a value perspective, how do I expect this player's value to change over the course of the coming years? Not right now, because I've already kind of decided that, right, based on the coaching staff, my gut, and their, their metrics. But now what's it going to look like over the years? Is there value? Does it have the potential of going up? Because maybe they're, they've, they just signed a new, a new deal. They've got a young quarterback that's progressing with them, whatever the case is, or are they somebody like a Juju or an Allen Robinson who they're working on a one-year deal, a franchise? Well, in, in Allen Robinson's situation, a franchise deal, Juju's is a one year where now they're going to a team where you don't really know what's happening. Right. You don't know where they're going. It, it's uncertainty, right? There's some volatility in the situation and you use that to your advantage. You say, Hey, you know what? I'm a little uncomfortable with the situation with Juju. He doesn't create a lot of separation. So if he doesn't go to a team that's going to kind of design some plays for him out of the slot, he's not really that as valuable as he is with Ben Roethlisberger and Pittsburgh playing out of the slot position. So you use those kinds of things to your, to your advantage and contracts are how you determine that. You can think about, okay, from that perspective, how long do I think that this player's situation is going to stay the same or stay very similar in nature? So in Dynasty, a two- to three-year window is crucial. You don't want to plan for a team that's going to win three to four years out. That's, that's People love to blow it up. Productive struggle, I guess, is a good way to frame it where you're just going to be a treadmill team, but you're cool with it. But if you think that the running back on your team is still going to be a stud in four years, you wasted the last three years. If you think that wide receiver is still going to be a stud in four years, you wasted three years of his career. Maybe he hits his prime. Maybe he breaks out. Maybe he pulls an Odell Beckham. Maybe he moves teams. Like what happens to Hopkins 
was just the most unbelievable situation ever. It, Mike Thomas is kind of in the same boat where he's got this overwhelming contract. He's probably going to want more money. The team is in a weird spot where they don't know how much they're going to compete. They're in a tough division, whereas Houston was in a terrible division, and they're probably going to have to move him at some point or up the ante. It's so you don't always go play with the next phenom like Kyler Murray. Sometimes you get shipped out of town, even if he goes and plays with Derek Carr, who we, Brad and I, think is great. We think he's a great NFL quarterback. Hell yeah. Not he just is. good. He's great, man. That guy is solid as all get out. That does not mean that you're going to continue the same kind of production you had with Drew Brees uh, or Sean Payton, to, to be frankly honest, right? Just to be yep. frank. So the contract status is huge. Because it keeps you in that three to five year window. Now, the salary cap is semi made up in the NFL. The Chiefs had no money. They extended Kels. They extended, uh, what's the defensive lineman's name? Clark? Uh, yeah, Frank Clark. Frank Clark. And then they extended Patrick Mahomes for half a billion dollars over 10 years. So they're kind of making it up. The Saints just literally made a phony contract for Taysom Hill where they're like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bazillion dollars, but it's completely voidable. So, it's semi, you know, it's semi lucid. However, it's still a thing. And you're still owed that money if it's guaranteed. And the easiest way to follow trends in any major sporting event or any company really is to follow the money. And so when you look at a contract status, if his contract is running up, he might get extended, he might move on. That can be a selling point. Most running backs, when they hit that second contract and they're guaranteed huge volume, you get out that year knowing it's a year early rather than holding them and getting stuck with them a year late. Okay? So contracts are crucial to me. You got two more. Oh, go ahead, Brad. You got two yeah. more bullet points, too. Yeah, I wanted to ask you something around contract, and it's a little bit of put you on the spot. So do you ever look at a contract situation as an up? grade for a player. So like Kenny Galladay, for instance, right? He goes from Detroit into New York, but is there a situation where you look at Kenny Galladay in Detroit and say, I think Alan Robinson's a good example. Let's say they didn't draft Justin Fields. He's playing with Andy Dalton this year on the franchise tag. Do you look at purchasing Alan Robinson at the the thought that there's really not a worse team or a worse quarterback situation that he could go to and you buy him now to flip later. Do you ever look at contracts as a positive instead of a negative or are they always kind of a, I want to use contracts to get out early? Oh, I definitely use them as a positive. So when Kenny G I'm a Lions fan, when he was coming up on his contract extension, I was, I was in, I wanted in, especially last year in 2020. Because he has motivation. Now, motivation is fleeting, but habits are forever. He's got terrible habits. Hated the coach. Never hit IR. Simply didn't play. When he did play, he was great. He was fantastic. 14, 15 points every single game. All three of them. Right? We saw what Marvin Jones could have done. Or what Marvin Jones did. We, we wonder what Kenny could have done with Matthew Stafford. Once Matt wants out, I don't like wide receivers without a proven quarterback with the exception of the next man on the list, Allen Robinson. And so as soon as rumors were swirling that Chicago could go get a Russell Wilson or a Deshaun Watson or move up in the draft, I went and got Allen for a first and a second in Tony Pollard. That was about what it cost me. I get a third or some crap thrown in, but that's what it costs. First and a second for my own team and a nice handcuff for Allen Robinson, who I think is a one, who has played with – Blake Bortles, Mitchell Trubisky, Nick Foles, and dominated. So when they signed Andy Dalton, I was like, all right, fine. Fine, because he's going to get franchise tagged, and then he gets to choose his spot, and he's going to want to go to a Super Bowl contender. God forbid Tom Brady's still coaching, or still playing. Maybe he'll be coaching. Right, right? but you're, he's going to be looking to go to an elite team. Elite teams have elite quarterbacks. So I was all in on Allen Robinson because he's produced with trash. But – when Matt wanted out, I knew Kenny wanted to get paid, and he's not going to be a lion anymore. I, you need out because there's no security there. The best teams in the NFL don't overpay. The worst teams do. The worst teams do. So the Jets, in a year or two, are going to overpay for a Juju Smith-Schuster. Right? So do you want Juju in the green and white? Sorry, Brian, at Brian GM on Twitter, our, our resident Jets fan. Maybe. Right. But if Juju was somehow a chief, 
as disgusting as that may be, give me all of that. So when the contracts are running out for wide receivers, I want them in their contract year, knowing they'll either get extended, franchise tagged, or get to choose their home. When it comes to a running back, that second contract is almost a kiss of death. He won't finish that contract. Right? Very rarely does a running back finish his second contract. Maybe he changes teams under it, but very rarely does a team pay a running back a shit ton of money and then keep him, and they sure as shit don't extend him a third time. So there are a couple exceptions with Kareem Hunt, who got that very small contract because his his market was you know evaporating before his eyes. He might get a third contract in Cleveland. That's cool. If not, he's, he's going to go to a fine spot, but he's never going to be that one, like that true, true surefire one that we wanted him to be. All right, what's the other? Austin Eckler got a very, very affordable contract. He's 26. He'll be 27. His contract runs up. He's a pass catcher. He's an offensive specialist. I could see him getting a third deal. All right, so maybe you hold Austin for a year and then you got to flip him. But if you want out of Austin Eckler, it's right the fuck now because if he rolls an ankle, it's over. His value plummets. It's not like he won't be useful for Dynasty. It's not like gaskins and david johnson don't have their place in dynasty chris carson doesn't have his place in dynasty but if you want to get your value back not even max value just just get back what you put in it's got to be a year early for running backs whereas wide receivers there is still a market for kenny galladay because they paid him when a running back gets paid that volume is guaranteed they are going to feed him the ball we talked about the cowboys before this ezekiel elliott can be worse than tony pollard zeke will get at least 70 percent of that market share because he's paid. Yep. And Jerry Jones will go give him the damn ball. Let's see if he's washed. He might yep. be gone next year. You know, I don't think so. I think he's going to bounce back, but maybe, but he's going to get the ball. A wide receiver needs somebody else to get him the ball. So, as much as Kenny Galladay is guaranteed some sort of looks, is Danny Dimes going to be able to get him the ball? I don't think so. So, it's different for a wide receiver than it is a running back. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. Absolutely, because I always look at it as when to get rid of a player, not necessarily when to go get one, because it's so hard sometimes to say, okay, well, is, yeah, we think that Allen Robinson could go to a really good situation, but if he decides, I just want whoever the highest bidder is, do we want to see him go to Zach Wilson in New York? Do we want to see him go to Danny Daniel Jones in, in New York? It, it's tough. So I, tough yeah, New York and New York. Yeah, right. So, uh, you know, okay, well, let's say Davis Mills in Houston, you know, does that ma- or Tyrod Taylor in Houston, does that make you feel good? Those are the sit- those are the times that I struggle because Allen Robinson's, like you said, he's really fucking good. And I don't want to sell him because if he ends up going to a really good situation, he could be a top five wide receiver in a good situation. So I, I was curious to pick your brain just a little bit about that to see if you used them both ways and not just one. Yeah, a little bit. There's a couple names that go the other way when they resign because they're attached to a coach. Robert Woods comes to mind because when he resigned, first of all, we talked about contracts, which we'll get into because we were going to do it tonight. And he was like, dude, that's such a long pot. I don't even know how the <laughs> hell you're going to explain to people what you're trying to say. I don't even know if it makes sense. I'm saying it. But that is what I use. Yeah. But as soon as he got signed, I saw writing on the wall for other people. And so is golf great? You're like, well, golf will be there or he won't. Todd Gurley's out. Cup is probably out. Cup is there. Golf is out because they need to sign Donald and they need to sign Jalen Ramsey. That was the big one. But he's connected to Sean McVay and Sean McVay's bought in. That's why he got paid. So when he signed his contract, I was in. Adam Thielen, same thing. When he signed his contract, Right, he's connected to Kirk Cousins because their contracts almost run out at the same time, guaranteed money. So I know he's connected to his quarterback. It wasn't a, a Jordy Nelson situation where his guaranteed money runs out. Aaron Rodgers is still there. Aaron loves him. We loved him. We wanted him there. They let him go. So you have to look how they line up to the to the coach and the or and or the quarterback. Right. Yep. You have two more check boxes on here. Hit me with those. Yeah, I'll I'll make it quick so we can get into yours, but I'm going to say team projections, right? So looking at a team as a whole, as a conglomerate, how is their defense or do we expect them to be down a lot because their defense is poor? How good is their offense? Is it high power? Do we expect them to be producing a lot of points, right? You got to look at a whole lot of stuff for that, right? You got to look at what they're, who they're signing on defense, how you project their defense to play, 
who they're signing on the offensive line, who, you know, how do you expect them to play? There's a whole multitude of things, but don't discount the fact that you need to look at it when evaluating a player and their production, because as much as we love Joe Mixon, his upside may be a little cap because of how poor the offensive line is situations like that. So make sure you look at what the team is doing and that rolls right into the actions that the team are taking. So if a, if a team goes out and signs a profile running back in free agency, you have to maybe reevaluate what your expectations are for the running backs that are on that roster. Same thing for wide receivers, right? We'll go back to the New York Giants. They signed Kenny Galladay. I know you love Sterling Shepard. I'm okay with him, right? But now you you might temper your expectations for some of the other wide receivers on that team because they signed an alpha, right? That may help them in certain situations. It may hurt some players in certain situations. So you got to look at what the team is doing. And there's some underlying messaging there that you want to read and you want to take a look at and say, okay, how do I think this situation, what does this tell me the team believes in these players? And what do I think that player that they signed can do for the other players on the team? Because it's not always a negative, right? For me, the example is Hollywood Brown. I love that they brought in Rashad Bateman. I don't think that hurts Hollywood Brown. I think it caps his volume, but I think efficiency-wise and the ability of him to be open in certain situations and all the metric stuff I talked about before, there's value in Marquise Brown. Hollywood Brown in the later rounds of a, of a startup draft or a best ball draft or whatever the situation is. So, yeah, we talked about the Raiders, you and I, when they signed, yep. when, when they drafted Ruggs uh, and, and Edwards, right? And they signed Aguilar. We were like, look, that's not going to hurt Darren Wallen today. It's going to help him. It's going to help him next year. There will be a day when that catches up. With Marquise, same thing. They can bring in Bateman and Rashad. Um, Tylen Wallace. Tylen Wallace. Rashad Bateman, Tylen Wallace. And Sammy Watkins, that helps Hollywood today. Going forward, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. See, him getting more than 100 targets is going to be tough to do. He might be more efficient with them. Him getting seven or eight touchdowns a a year every single year wouldn't shock me because they're in the red zone all the damn time. But being his size, there will be a moment uh, when you know that it's turned and it's somebody else's job. I think it's Bateman. I think you think it's Bateman. We wouldn't be shocked if it's Walls. We also wouldn't be shocked if somebody signs there. If he throws for 4,000, 4, 4,200 yards and 35 touchdowns and rushes a little less because he's able to roll out and everybody has to come up and they're open under, uh, behind them. Don't be shocked if one of these big names goes after that TV deal hits for these contracts, which is something we'll bring up in another episode. Look at me peeking behind the curtain. All right. All right. I know. I know. I've been scolding him all afternoon. We're peeking behind the curtain. So just to recap, Bradley Stickler at FF Bourbon, dude. First and foremost, he's honest. He just goes off field. Now, this will happen with a lot of analysts or anybody that's been playing for even if it's if it's 12 months. Once you get a feel for your team and your league and who you won against or lost against and you get, you get the name stuck in your head and who they play for, you start to get a feeling for people. Some people let you down. Some people built you up. Uh, I have a soft spot for Ellen Lazar that will never go away, and it's completely – Completely unrecognized by the rest of the, it's so unrecognized <laughs> by the rest of the fantasy community. On the flip side, Hunter Renfro, I couldn't give care less about, and other people just love him, and I get it. It's that bias, right? So he's honest with himself, but then you take a closer look. That is his first reaction. He looks at the metrics. It's a dot average yard, um, depth of target versus yards created after contact, and um, actual yardage for a wide receiver. When it comes to running backs, he, he's looking a little different. Why don't you explain this to me, Warren Brad? I'm slow. Yards after, this. Con- yeah, yards after contact per attempt, coupled with the missed tackles forced. Right, so those two things together. Hey, it tells me I don't care about your offensive line. Are you breaking tackles? Or are you and are you creating yardage? Because every running back is going to be a function of their offensive line and their blocking. Whether people want to admit it or not, it is going to cap your upside. So for me. At the start, when I'm only looking at the player, not the team and the coaching staff and the decisions that they've made, from a player perspective, are they creating yards and are they elusive? That's what I want to know. Ties that right into the coaching staff consistency or changes there within. 
uses that to his advantage in either way, right? If there's a coaching change on a player he's trying to attain, he can use that. If there's a coaching change on a player he has, he, he can evaluate it that way. His contract status is always good or bad, but it is crucial. Team projections, defensively especially, how many opportunities the guy will get, who they bring in around him, which can help or hurt somebody, and the team actions, which, again, is tied right into team projections. Who they signed at that position or other positions around them. They bring in uh, some marquee defensive players, and you expect them to be leading in games that can help the running back, right? If it's a scat back, that can hurt them. So, yeah, it's good stuff, man. Those are his checkboxes. Mine are a little more vanilla. Mine are a little more vanilla. Yeah, you say that. They ain't vanilla. There's a lot of subcategories. Yeah. But they're vanilla. First and foremost, I look at past performances. Now, I had to pencil this one in late because, honestly, I they're already in my head. I already know who's good and who's not. And Amari Cooper is always top 15, and Brandon Cooks has slept on. Jarvis Landry is disrespected. So is Robert Woods. That Cooper Cup is overhyped. That LaVishka Chenault catches tipped drills. There's all these things that you already know. Debo Samuel is game script dependent. However, that game script is for him, so he's dependent on being awesome. Right, but there are a lot of things that I that are already swirling in my mind. I watch every game in the NFL in the offseason. I'm through like week 11 now. It's been a little slow this year, but I'm going to catch up. So, but past performances is the first thing you should check. Click on the guy's name, see what he did. Right, this says wide receiver 60, that can be lying. This says wide receiver six, that can be lying. Chris Godwin was wide receiver two two years ago. That was one of the worst years for wide receiver output in the NFL. Michael Thomas was a phenom that year. He had like every target from Drew Brees. You look at last year, there are quarterbacks that put up ungodly numbers. I mean, I was looking at Russell Wilson and I was like, okay, so he's, he's, you know, QB eight or some shit like that. He put up like 40 more points than he did three years ago when he was QB two. I was like, well, what the hell is that? 2020, they didn't get to play defense because they didn't have OTAs or off season. So these play into, look at his total points as his past performances, his total points, because that's what you're using, not where he finishes based on his position, especially at the running back position when so many people get hurt. Maybe he only played 10 games. Maybe he only played 12 games. Nick Chubb, your boy, is such a crucial example of this. And if anybody's close to Christian McCaffrey, it's Dalvin Cook, who is putting up 25-plus points per game but never finishes a full slate. So look at past performances based off total points, and points per game. After that, I like to look at targets. Running back, it's very important because it will set you above the rest. But wide receivers, man, targets are earned. They are not just given. Now, if your team is always losing and they're mode to go around, if you play for the Steelers or you play for the, the Atlanta Falcons, there's more targets. Hollywood Brown getting 100 targets last year was mind-blowing to me because it was way over 25%. Whereas if Russell Gage gets 100 targets this year, I don't really give a damn. That's not that many coming off of Matt Ryan in that offense without a run game. But I do look at targets and volume, and the, and then I look at the spot that they line up in. Okay, now a slot snap or a slot target is worth like 0.02% more than an X or, or a Z. Now that is a stat that's pretty much made up, but they are worth more. Slot guys can still be valuable. If you're the X receiver, you have to be so much better than the person guarding you because you're isolated. So the name across from you is their ace. It's Tredarius White. It's Jalen Ramsey. It's it's Alexander for the Packers. It's the, the it's the dude, right? So you have to be better than that guy. Now you're probably solo. You can get behind him. It could be a big play. If you can get him to back up, the problem is you got to beat that guy. Whereas you're the Z or the slot. You got a little help. You're, you're schemed open. So although we all chase the X because he's the alpha, it's a much more difficult position to dominate at. The guys at the top play X, and they also like to move them into the slot. Devontae Adams is one of my favorites. He plays every single position at wide receiver because they keep moving him to keep messing with the defense. And the defensive coordinator has no hair by the end of the game because he's all over the place. But the spot they line up in, especially at wide receiver, means a lot to me. I'm more apt to take a solid slot guy than a mediocre guy, even though he plays X. That's just a fact. Justin Jefferson almost played every every snap out of the slot. CeeDee Lamb played like 99.9% of his slot, uh, snaps out of the slot last year. Would you rather have CeeDee Lamb or Amari Cooper? That's a debate. Would you rather have CeeDee Lamb or Devontae Parker? That is not a debate. 
and I not even close. On, and I am high on Parker because of the the team, the amount of targets, the amount of volume, and where he lines up. He's not getting the ace corner. He's going to torch that guy. Uh, then I look at the depth chart, which of course is crucial because that's how you figure out target share. I guess I should put that in. Whereas I just have different checkboxes. I go off past performances, which will be auto at some point. I look at total targets. That's volume. Total points scored, total points scored and points per game. Then I go to the depth chart. Where do they rank? I'm very high on Sterling Shepard. Always have been. Sterling Shepard's in a weird spot. Is he the slot? If he's a slot, I'm cool with it. If they try and put him out at the X or the Z, it's I don't like it. I don't like it, right? Where's Kenny? Kenny's the X, right? That's what we assume. So where's Sterling? Are they going to put him at the, at the uh, slot? Or are they going to try and put Tony in there? Because if he is at the slot and they put Stereo Slayton out and Tony's a gadget guy, I'm still cool with Shepard. If Shepard's lining up outside, I'm no longer. As soon as Golden Tate got signed and they pushed Shepard outside, I wanted Golden Tate. We saw him put up double-digit uh, performances almost every game in 2019 before having a falling out with the coach, which ties into who the coach is in continuity. But that'll come next. So I look at the depth chart. Uh, and then once I had that figured out, I know how he's done in the past. Some of them are rookies. Some of them haven't done deadly. But at least you can understand – what happened? Brian Edwards is a great example. You can see what happened when he was on the field. Then you look at targets, volume, target share, total points, points per game, total points, not their finishing stat line, not wide receiver seven, how many points did he score, and the spot they line up in to see if it's his advantage. Right. So once I got that figured out and I had figured out where the player is going to play and how much he's going to play and how much he's going to be used, now I'm starting to debate between talent levels. So volume is key for me, then talent levels. So I look at breakout age. I can go to college, or you can look at breakout age in the NFL. A lot of people, once they break out, tend to plateau. If a guy comes, you look at some of the guys at the top, Devontae Adams, Hopkins, Tyree Kill, Michael Thomas. They're just always up there, right? You look at running back. You got Zeke, Kamara, we're spoiled, right? CMC and Barkley were up towards the top. Those guys are just always top 10. Dalvin Cook, when he plays points per game style, is more than 20 a game on his career. Mixon comes in and breaks out, and he's going to be RB10 or 11. They plateau. Cooper comes in. Cooks, Landry, talking about wide receiver, 10 to 15 every year. It's hella good. That's it. So once they break out, that breakout age in college is crucial. I like sophomores. And the NFL is also big because they tend to plateau. Very rarely do you see a guy spike and stay up there, right? Julio came in was the shit from the jump. Michael Thomas came in was the shit from the jump. Cooper came in, we love him. He's mediocre as far as elite assets from the jump. So very rarely do you see a guy jump up. That's why I was so high on Kenny Galladay. He breaks my heart. God damn it. Lions fans, it's tough. After that, I look at offensive, <laughs> offensive trends. And this is in depth. This is where it gets all sorts of sideways, and you're going to want to follow threads and read articles. You want to look into the coordinator and the coach and know who's actually calling the play. You're going to want to know that the Miami Dolphins have two offensive coordinators. So as much as we'd like to project that out, who the hell knows? You also like to know that the offensive coordinator for the Saints and the Rams and the 49ers are obsolete because it's the head coach calling the plays. One of the reasons that Wentz was so great and that we loved Jeffrey when he was there and when they signed or drafted Miles Sanders, because Doug Peterson was the guy calling the plays, we knew what the hell to expect. When a new coach gets hired, it's a weird dichotomy. Like, who's going to call the offense and the defense? We saw Matt Patricia from my lines. He's calling the defensive plays. Defense stinks. He gives up the playbook. We saw Matt Nagy gives it up. Then they do good, so he tries to take it back so that they can do good again. What the hell is that, right? We see Anthony Lynn is the offensive coordinator for the Lions now. Apparently, I'm a homer. And you're like, he's going to call the plays, right? Well, at one point, does Dan Campbell freak out and try and take that play call back? You hope never. You hope never. But there's all these different situations where you got to know who's calling the plays. And so when you're trying to figure out offensive trends, it's a very in-depth look, and it's a lot of feel and less function and less statistics. Anthony Lynn puts up top 10 offenses. Is he going to with the Lions? Look at the Lions. Look at the head coach. Is he going to be given the reins? Right? Lombardi. Lombardi goes to the Chargers, who we talked about earlier. Is he going to be given the full reins? Is he? I mean, I would imagine, right? I Their would head hope. coaches. Yeah. I, 
Well, when you look at both of those head coaches, they're not like these great offensive minds, right? So you would like to think that those head coaches realize that they have two really good offensive minds as the OCs, and they're going to let them do their job instead of try to take it over themselves. Yeah. You, you just wonder how much failure you have before somebody takes it. Yeah. Urban Meyer and, and Bevel is another great example. Urban Meyer has a tendency to lean on his staff. So I expect Bevel to call the plays. But if they're getting blown out four weeks in a row, I mean, who the hell knows what they're going to do? So trying to project out tendencies over a year, that's tough. Freddie Kitchens, when he came in, he made Baker Mayfield a record-breaking rookie, right? And then he gets the head coaching job. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. It's just weird. And trying to project these out is tough. And that's why you got the stables. The Saints will always be overdrafted. The Chiefs will always be overdrafted. There's a security there. That makes it a fair point that, hey, man, I don't know who the co- who the quarterback is, but I'm still going to take Alvin Kamara in the first round, Michael Thomas in the second or third round. And nobody, as much as we'd like to hate on that, <laughs> look, there's security. There's a security blanket, but that's the toughest one. So after past performances, targets, total points, total points per game, where they're going to play breakout age and offensive trends. The, like the first thing I do now, because that's already in my head, I know who's playing where, right? Depth charts are fake right now, but you kind of got a feel for it. The first thing I do when I get an offer or trying to look for somebody to draft in a dynasty league is the contract. I am bigger on contract than most people I talk about. Uh, and it is a double-edged sword because we brought up earlier how the the salary cap's kind of made up. Kind of is. You can you can fuck with it. But not everybody, not every team does, which is weird. So GMs are important. So then you have to know GMs' names. We're like, how many fucking names do I have to know, Eric? Like, damn it. You already tell me the four-string slot guy for the Giants. Why the hell do I need to know the GM's name? Because it's important. Because the easiest way to figure out who's going to get the volume is to follow the money. And so when you look at contracts, especially in a dynasty league, to figure out what team they're going to be on, you need to follow the money. And if that guy signs a four-year contract, $50 million contract, he's probably not going to end that contract on that team. If that guy signs a four-year $24 million contract, he's probably finishing with that team. Now, most of these contracts are tough to get out of. We see quarterback Drew Brees, Tom Brady, um, Big Ben. They're going to be paying those guys for like three or four years after they retire. Okay, and we see at running back, Todd Gurley, they just ate that. David Johnson gets traded, right? Wide receivers are the only position where they will put it in that he gets four years this amount of money, but after so many years, it's usually age 31. There's no more guaranteed money. So not only is a contract important and the overall number important, you need to know dead cat and you need to know guaranteed money going into each season because it will influence not only what they do on the NFL field, but what they do in the NFL draft. There's a reason CeeDee Lamb was drafted there. There's a reason Jamar Chase was drafted there. That's a bad pick of Jamar Chase, but it allows them to have cheap offensive weapons with Joe Burrow for Joe Burrow's continual rookie contract. Then they can go sign offensive linemen and defensive players and pay them while they have cheap guys on offense. Now it's dumb because in three years, they're going to be like, fuck, I got to let T. Higgins or Jamar Chase walk because you can't pay them all. Right. But in a short term, it makes sense. So contracts are crucial. I think I could talk to you about contracts for four fucking days because it's so important when you're trying to project a a window. But two years, two years you can get. The third year is iffy. There's a lot of names on my list that I think I should go acquire if I'm a dynasty like contender that give you two years. That third year is always iffy, which is why I say you shoot for the first two years. You don't try and compete three or four years out because you have no idea. Projecting that personally is a crapshoot. The whole time you were talking, I kept thinking about one thing, and it actually had literally nothing to do with contracts. You were talking about slot wide receivers and how a, a slot target is worth a slight percentage more than an outside target. So when you're looking at these slot wide receivers, do you think about quarterback tendencies when you're looking at those guys? So let's say Juju goes to uh, Carson Wentz 
versus a, oh goodness, a Tua, for instance, we'll say Tua. Do you look at those as different situations because of quarterback tendencies or do you just look at it from a talent perspective and, and how many opportunities they're going to have? Well, first you have to be assured that he's going to play the slot on that team. Uh, secondly, Tua, we don't really have tendencies because my thought on Tua is that he'd like to take deep shots. Last yep. year, he only took like 10 on the entire season, which was awful, but that's why they fired the offense coordinator. And then going into this year, they have two offense coordinators. So going into year three, again, I think we're going to have very few tendencies. So that's right. it's a weird example. But most quarterbacks lean on their slot player in specific situations. There's a reason why Mohamed Sanu has such a long career and was sold for a second to go to the New England Patriots just a couple years ago. They gave up just a second-round pick straight up for Mohamed Sanu, big slot guy. There's a reason that he's on the 49ers this year, a name you might want to pick up off the waivers in a weird spot for a, a spot start in season because specific quarter, or all quarterbacks lean on them in specific situations. Cole Beasley, we, we just finished the Scott Fishbowl. Cole Beasley was like wide receiver 17 last year because they had Diggs going deep and then broke-ass – John Brown, or youngster Gabriel Davis. So if you don't take the shot there, Cole Beasley eight because they don't have a tight end. So I guess I guess the end of the day, a slot receiver that I want the most is on a quarterback that is young yet established and doesn't really have a tight end he can use. I don't even know who lines up in the slot for the Chiefs. They probably just rotate it, right? Because they always put Tyreek yeah. in motion behind the line. He's sprinting around and take off. Because they have Kelsey. Like, Hunter Renfro lines up in the slot for Waller, and there was this big narrative that Hunter's going to eat into Waller, and that was dumb because Waller's way better than Hunter. But it was kind of fair because it's a similar route tree. It's your security blanket. If your slot goes up and in or up and stops, your tight end can't do that. He has to hit the seam. If your slot goes up and out, now your tight end's open. So that changes every single play. And it, and it eliminates one of them because they eat into each other's targets. So I guess you want a quarterback that's established, it's youngish, but established, and that doesn't really have a tight end. Because like if Tom Brady gets a great slot player, we saw Julian Edelman. That was he was it was his only option. Who plays slot for Tampa Bay? Is it going to be Chris Godwin? He plays all over though, right? But they put him in yep. the slot. But if he was exclusively in the slot. He told me AB was outside and Mike Evans went outside and Chris Godwin was exclusively in the slot with Gronkowski on that team. I'd say that Chris Godwin's going to have the worst season out of the three wide receivers because it's Tom Brady and he reads the play so well. He's not just going to take what's there if he can get more, right? Yeah. Whereas yeah, Josh Allen on the flip side is going to go ahead and take his first down. Yeah, and that's why I bring that up is is – People should look into that, right? Quarterbacks have tendencies, right? Jared Goff is one of the quarterbacks who targets the slot the absolute most in the NFL. Now, maybe, maybe that was a function of the fact that Robert Woods and Cooper Cup would alternate between the slot and they were, that was the best matchup on the field. But now when you look at Detroit Lions and their offensive scheme, the, the wide receivers that they have, what do you think Jared Goff is going to do now with the slot, him having the tendency of targeting the slot most often? Now, to your point, TJ Hawkinson is probably going to see a large majority of those slot targets that otherwise would have gone to some really good slot wide receiver like he had in Los Angeles. I think also the running back is going to benefit from there being no running back or no wide receivers that really man the slot efficiently on that team. So, so I think it does matter when you talk slot wide receivers, quarterback tendencies and what they're capable or willing to do and history shows, and you can find slot targets for wide receivers all over the place. Football guys does it. You can find it everywhere. The PFF.com's got it. You can find that information, but don't sleep on that and think that, well, Juju is the best in the slot. That doesn't necessarily mean that Juju's good. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, also the Lions in particular don't have a lot of options. So there's going to be a point. Perriman and uh, what's his name? Tyrell Williams. Tyrell Williams are not going to push anybody back 
So they're going to sit in that middle ground where TJ is. Uh, if Ebron was still there, I think it would be worse for the slot than TJ because TJ will line up like on the line. He will block. Uh, but another great example is Kirk Cousins. Yep. Adam Th- when Adam Thielen broke out four years ago, he was like a slot wide receiver that got all these red zone targets. A lot of slot wide receivers get a shit ton of red zone targets, which is another trend that's going up. That, that's probably where the metric comes from because they get all these touchdowns. Uh, then we watched last year. After Stefan Diggs leaves, Adam Thielen is forced to go outside. He plays something in the slot, but he has to go outside because no one else is going to respect anybody else out there. Even as Justin Jefferson is killing it, they're not necessarily going to force their their players out there because it's just a trend. You know, it's got to continue. Obisi Johnson is not pushing anybody out there. So when they went three wide receivers, Thielen was generally outside. Obisi Johnson was on the other side, and Justin Jefferson was in the slot, and we saw what that was, like 84 catches, 1,400 yards. Uh, that's why they did a ton of two tight end sets as well because they didn't have enough wide receivers. So, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting me- metric, but when, I, when I'm checking the boxes, I don't really give a damn where you play. I just need to know that you have a defined role, okay? And if it's a player that doesn't, thrive outside and he's not going to get slot snaps i'm out and if it's a player that thrives outside and is getting slot slot snaps i'm in i'm in like it's easy to project elite players breaking out it is tough to project subpar players being relevant t higgins is an outside wide receiver he's going to kill it outside this year tyler boyd is the slot if Tyler Boyd, for whatever reason, loses a step or they bring somebody in and you see Jamar Chase going into the slot more, dude, it is top five is written all over him. Is that 2021, 22? I don't know. I, we just looked at Tyler Boyd's contract. It would probably be Tyler Boyd in the slot for the duration of his contract. But um, Chase moves in to the slot, whereas T generally doesn't. So – that, that ability to swap that side of the field. And when you watch the NFL today, every play has motion. Somebody's fucking moving so that the quarterback can see the coverage, right? They're not just going to line up and snap it. So all these guys that like to line up and just beat their guy off the coverage, it's tougher now because the quarterback has to identify the mic, set the coverage, snap the ball, read the defense, find you, get it to you, and you have to be open. Whereas if you're in the slot and the quarterback snaps it, and he goes, oh, fuck, I didn't see the blitz. And the guy's right in his face, and you're four feet from the line of scrimmage, and he knows where you are. He can dump it off to you. And if he does have time and they allow you to do that long arc that we see so many people, Robert Woods, Tyreek Hill especially, that they just go all the way across the field on that arc. Uh, Jalen Waddle, the Tua gift that everybody loves, Jalen Waddle's best catch from Tua. That's all he does. He snaps the ball. He goes from outside, walks into the slot. They snap the ball. He just sprints 20 yards on an arc. If you do have time, that's a touchdown. That's a touchdown. If you're outside, you don't have, you don't just have to beat your guy, which is you know presumably the best their ace corner. But then there's a safety over the top, or at least has time to catch you. Like it's just so much tougher. It's so much tougher. If Brian Edwards struggles, Henry Ruggs will never be good. If Brian Edwards is an elite, solid ass X, Henry Ruggs can move all over the field and be a problem. So. Yeah, I got off on a tangent there about the Raiders, but <laughs> I'm saying when I'm looking at it, if you're an X, you got to be elite to hit my team. If you play the Z or the slot or move in and out of it, I have a lot, a lot more tendency to make a move for you because I know you have a floor, right? You might not, yep. you might not have the ceiling. Some of them will hit the ceiling. We saw Juju's just ridiculous year. Uh, Adam Thielen, we brought up Justin Jefferson, CeeDee Lamb, all great seasons. In, in recent memory, um, Cooper Cup, all great seasons in recent memory. Somebody from the slot will hit that top top 10 echelon. Um, so you might not have the ceiling year in and year out, but you sure should have it for. All right, man, well, we're going to get him out of here. That's about an hour. And uh, we're going to hit you up with more dynasty evaluation going forward. That's how we check our back boxes. Once again, Brad goes off field, likes to use those metrics. Uh, coaching staff consistency or changes uses to his own advantage. Then he hits up the contract team projections, which are sticky, uh, but still something to look into and the team actions, which go right into projections. Like if you bring in a defensive minded coach, probably going to run the ball more. You can project volume that way. If you bring in 
Zach Taylor, you know, they're going to throw the ball 50 times a game, even if they're up 80. So there is a way to use that to your advantage. Uh, I use past performances, uh, specifically yards per game and total points. Roll that into targets because volume is key, not so much target percentage, but overall targets because I do like specific offenses, especially for wide receivers. Depth chart to figure out where you're lining up. Breakout age is huge because players tend to plateau. Um, offensive trends are the most sticky stat, man. I think that is that is what can set you ahead or behind in a dynasty league is trying to bet on an offense and missing or trying to bet on an offense and hitting. If you bet on the Rams two years ago, you're fucked now. You are, right? But if you bet on the Chiefs two years ago, you're counting your money, getting ready for another ship. Uh, and contract is the most important thing for me. And that is such, there's so much that entails that on trying to project where somebody's going to be from year in and year out. And I don't just look at their own particular contract, but if you are going to look at one contract, look at guaranteed money and look at dead cap over the course of a few years. Because when that guaranteed money runs out or when that dead cap is much shorter, the amount of cap savings that they could save, and you look at their overall, you know, team, their overall salary cap and who needs to be signed. Uh, people get cut all the time. You can sign a four-year, $40 million contract, play one year, and get cut. That can happen. So, uh, yeah, thank you all for listening. Don't forget, rate, review, subscribe anywhere and everywhere you got. You get your podcast. Got any closing thoughts for us, Brad? No, I'm ready to get into some more Dynasty talk, man. I like this episode. This, this is good shit. I'm excited. I'm excited. It's fun. It's more fun. Yeah. This, is what, this is what we wanted to bring when we set out. And so I think this is what we're going to get into. We want to give you our process candidly. And then hate it, love it, whatever. Use it for your own. If there's anything you can use to create your own checkboxes, do that. But you should have a checklist, even if it's not written down, right? You should have. As soon as you get an offer, what's the first thing you do? You click the guy's name, right? You see where he finished. Are you vomit the first time you get an offer? It's that gut it, feel, I man. I don't send them it's all, that gut Brad. feel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the first thing that you, first thing you do, right? You click the name, and you look at the name. What are you looking at? Don't look at just the green on sleeper. The guy finished top ten. How many points did he score? How many points per game? How would he get there? Is the coach still there? Is the coordinator still there? Where would he go? How much money is on his contract? So much goes into that. Break down the player piece by piece. Check all the boxes, as it were. And then we'll move on. I think next next week we're going to start talking about whether you're a contender or a rebuild and strategies in that, how to evaluate that. But if the first thing you need to know how to do personally is evaluate a player on your own scale. Right? I highly recommend pulling up spreadsheets. <laughs> that is not for everybody. I am well aware. I told somebody that I was that I was how I was doing my draft. They were like, "What the hell are you doing?" I was like, "Well, I'm plugging them into my board." He's like, "What the fuck are you talking about? It's all the ADPs right there." I said, "No, man, I'm plugging them into my board. Figure out where I got them." They're like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" It was for Scott Fish. I was like, "Yeah, it's a free charity league." He's like, "Dude, you're way too into it." I was like, "Hey, I'm a win. All I'm saying is I'm gonna win, and I want to trust my own process." So again, you can follow me at Colder 6 on Twitter at FF Bourbon Dude is Bradley. Don't forget Matt Riser at Natty Daddy 2652 presenting all those live stream comments again. Oh, you can find them. Uh, we got so many articles on the website, ffaffair.com. Don't forget the expo, the fantasyfootballexpo.com. Reserve your tickets, turn your team around overnight, get together with all your favorites, all the all the just titans of the industry. And ours truly are throwing that pre show party, so be sure to step it up. Later. On top of that, I'm going to take this out so I can get my words right. Hesitate. Son of a bitch. Why can't I have everything on the same page? <laughs> what is up, my fantasy affairians? This is Burke here. Let me just talk to you for a second. You want to know how you can turn your dynasty of leagues? It's tougher than it, tougher than it sounds, man. Stuff to do. Dude, just write the fucking thing.
Nah, I don't like to do that. Just write it down. I don't like to do that. Don't read it. Just use it as a guide. How are you going to not read it after you write it down? It's just like it. Never done that before? You never done like plays and shit before? With the fucking script in your hand, but you only kind of use it for a bit to look at a word or some shit? No, I just make shit up on the spot. (laughs) I like, hey, Juliet. Yo. Yo, dad, man. Come on down. Let your head down. Wait, that's not real good. <laughs> that's Rapunzel. Oh, my God. Oh, God. That's how you oh. know he was making up. Hey, Juliet, let your head down. That's, that's the title of the show. <laughs> Juliet, let your hair down. <laughs> what is it? All right, three, two, one, go.